everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We are back in 2015. It feels good to be back. We got a fresh coat of paint on the website. We'll tell you all about that in a little bit. We also have two sponsors, the Responsive Web Design Summit coming up, rwdsummit.com. Both me and Dave are going to be at it coming up in the middle of March here. Use Coupon code shop talk if you want to save 20% off when you sign up for it. And one month is back. One month iOS. Uh, the URL one you want to use. One month iOS. <laughs> Good. New theme song. You know, Otis was working on that. Dave's son. I stole it from my son. One month.com slash shop talk iOS is the URL you want to go to because that's going to get you the discount on it. And they've recently brought the prices down a little bit. So uh, anyway, we're going to tell you all about that course, which is basically like a change your life kind of course in this show. But for now, let's kick things off. Shopamaniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast all about, uh, oh, what's it say on the web? Brand new website now. It says an internet show about internet stuff. Oh, <laughs> I'm man. Dave Rupert and with me. Is That's what Blair. happens when you let placeholder text go Just live. Go live. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I was trying to be clever. I tried to do clever things and I'm like, why do I even try? Not a copywriter. Anyway, we do have an, uh, 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 first of all, I should say that we have with us Ren Lanier. Thanks, guys. Yes, the horns have <laughs> blasted. Thanks for joining us, Ren. So, you are you are you at home in the Midwest? I am at home in the Midwest with a cat in my lap Aww. at this very moment. <laughs> oh yeah, that's classic Midwest, there, don't you know? <laughs> you got snow on the ground. I, I'm in Wisconsin. I yeah. just I just like to you know I like to, to reminisce with, the, with my Midwestern. <laughs> i heard this is this is hearsay i hear like iowa and south dakota and north dakota are like the uh biggest like new startup places is that have you guys heard similar things no i am not i am not aware of this uh I, i i know the rust belt uh buffalo new york in particular uh has been putting a lot of effort into recruiting startups I'm 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 just interested. I saw something something about uh I think it's like Fargo or something is huge. Apparently <laughs> big big business going on in Fargo. Anyway, I haven't heard I, it. I, I like not I thinking digress. about that kind of thing. I like not that not that there's nothing to say about like an area being good for this type of thing, but it's kind of like I w- I wish we could just do away with that entirely. Just be like anywhere is good because everywhere has computers and internet and thus you have all the tools you need <laughs> to work on computers and internet. What does it Agreed. really matter where you are? Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, sports teams. <laughs> that's fair sure sure different kinds right, of tacos okay. uh uh i want to know more about ren and what you're doing right now because there's some interesting things afoot there are interesting things afoot yeah so so i i guess we could do you want to just start with the work stuff sure uh-huh. um so i am leading design and ux at high rise that's the contact management product that was originally created by 37 Signals and um, spun off uh, one of the products that they've spun off since they decided um, about a year ago to focus exclusively on Basecamp. So we are a new team. We took over the product. Our CEO started in late August and our team fully came together by about the end of September. Uh, So we've been working on High Rise for three or four months now. Nice. That's great. Awesome. So somebody kind of when he, uh, spun off is is interesting because we all kind of get it. It means that like okay, the original company doesn't work on it much anymore, and some new company does. Does that mean it was bought? Does that mean there's zero involvement from the old company, or is it a little more muddy than that? Uh, I believe Jason Fried wrote a long post about their attempts to sell High Rise and how they were not able 
to find what they felt was a suitable buyer. Uh, and my understanding is that all the potential buyers um, either wanted to shut down the product itself and sort of essentially just buy the users and port them over to some other mm-hmm. system, or they wanted to acquire the team with the product, designers and developers. And obviously, Basecamp wasn't going to let any of their extremely talented folks go. Um, so they hired uh, Nathan Contney in Chicago, who is a uh, you know serial entrepreneur who's taken several teams through Y Combinator, uh, developed several products, and he took over as CEO in late August. So we are still on their infrastructure, and so we're kind of we're sort of decoupling from mm. the Basecamp mothership. <laughs> sure, that's interesting. And then, yeah, I mean, I, it's not like you. Um, you know, are privy to share all these details. It's kind of funny. It's kind of like, so he didn't really buy it. He was kind of like given it, but with some kind of business arrangement, like, well, okay, then a whole bunch of money's of, you know, some large percentage of profits is still going to come to the original owners or something, you know, some kind of unusual business arrangement, I'm sure. It, I'm sure, but I think it was, I think it was an arrangement that I'm sure is in line with the original 37 signals and base camp values for their users and their products. Um, and I, I think that was important to them, you know, to, to keep all those things in mind. So I think it, it should be good. It should be good for, for users. And I think it's good for all of us to feel like we're working on a product that isn't just being developed, you know, by venture capitalists to sell to some other big company down the road right. um, to feel like there's some stability here. That's them That's putting cool. their money where their mouth is, too. They've been t- talking about yes. that kind of thing for a long time, and it really would have probably not gone well for them if they're just like, surprise, it's sold. We You're, sold yeah. your data. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Everybody's data is safe and secure. Yeah. <laughs> not going anywhere. Very cool. And you, so your role there is lead of UX? Or what was the... Lead of UX and design, design. yes. Wow. What an awesome new job. Congratulations. I mean, it's not... Probably doesn't feel super new to you now. <laughs> Four months or so. Yeah. Yeah. It feels it feels great. It's exciting. That is fantastic. So what, what, what led you there? I mean, I mean, I'm sure... Did you just... You kind of heard of the position and went for it? Did they track you down or... You know, it was it was one of those Twitter things. It was one of those Ooh. Twitter things where I I saw a tweet that someone was was looking for a designer, and I had been I had been looking for a remote position, um, kind of be able to work from home and control my workspace a little bit more and stay focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was a good fit all around, and and of course uh, we're the team is all over the place, but we do have a couple of people in Chicago in the Midwest. Yeah. To take a look at those servers or whatever. I'm sure, yeah. So uh, the web runs uh, website W R E N L A N I E R. I would hire you in a second. Go to this website. It's tasteful. <laughs> Works on all. It's a beautiful, responsive site. No wonder. No wonder people have a beautiful website and be able to show off. It's just. It's. It's like a. I don't know. I would show any. Um, aspiring person this kind of thing is there's only a couple of pieces on it and they're all super strong i mean i don't know thank you anyway uh awesome so you you did you and you were writing for the pastry box right is that wrapped up are you were you uh an ex pastry yeah Uh, i wrote for 2014 they've got a a great new crop of bakers for 2015 um looks like an, an amazing set of people for what appears to be their last their last year is that right? I didn't hear that. They, I believe, yeah, they made that. They made that announcement, and I, I'm sad about it. But I, it's also sort of like when you, one of your favorite television shows, you know, announces that they're going to end on a high note before they jump the shark. You're like, all right, then, you know, it's just going to go out strong. So Good I think point. It's great. <laughs> right. I think that's great. I, then, like year six, you're not just like. Uh, why am I doing this? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you're, you're just like, we did it mm-hmm. and it was good and it's awesome. And we have all this content that's yeah. wonderful and time. Like most of it's very, very timeless. So, um, it, it is, it is. And writing, writing for them last year, I would often 
have, you know, have an idea and then sort of think, wait, has somebody else written about this already? You know, it's just, and, and I think you do see themes repeated, but it's, it's nice to see those, those themes repeated from different perspectives and different people's experiences and, and takes on topics, topics like burnout, topics like side projects and just, you know, all these things that we're all kind of dealing with mm-hmm. week to week. Yeah, it's great. I, I I had a chance to do to do it too. Uh, it's, it makes you kind of wonder about like it's like the world's most aggressive publishing schedule, isn't it? It's like every yes. <laughs> single day, and then they you know they they unfortunately I think they tried to do a book and it didn't work out or something because you know for who knows whatever reason you know um, that it's it's a little sad. So you know like what are your options then? Like to, to this is a tremendous amount of work. Do you slather it in ads to make it worthwhile? You know like there's there's only so many ways that you can kind of tastefully get, you know. So it's 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 unfortunate. I think they're they're another great example of doing it the way they want to do it and sticking to their values and sticking to their standards and putting out a really high quality product every single day without having to compromise in in too many terrible ways. This is starting mm-hmm. to become a theme today. <laughs> Doing the right thing at the right time. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, we met a year or two ago at Converge SE, I think. Uh, you and you we were talking about all kinds of stuff. You had you talked about mobile and prototyping and gestures yeah. and you have this whole idea of designing on the Z axis that you talk about is Correct. Correct. Can can you expound on that? Like, give us the five minute version of that talk. Uh, I've heard everyone's like, "Oh, you gotta see Ren's Z axis talk. You gotta see Ren's Z axis talk." <laughs> can you around. give us the like five minute version? Yeah, I mean, I think the the five minute version is trying to put some design logic and principles behind that UI experience of of popping popping another view over top. Of, of a view or then sliding something over and reve- and revealing a view underneath um, that sometimes you get into an app and stuff's just popping out left, right, and center. It's like VH1's pop-up video or something. And, and it kind of makes no sense. And, you know, why is this thing on top of that thing? So really talking about design principles of how to do that well and correctly in a way that makes makes the experience of the UI more easy to understand and more elegant and and with a better sense of flow. That's fabulous. So it really was about Z index in a way. It really was yeah. about vertical stacking. Yep. Abs- absolutely. And you know, things like I, I use Gmail. I use the Gmail app on my iPhone and I love how, you know, to open up their left menu, it's actually little details like the fact that your inbox that slides over and that menu is sitting underneath your inbox on the left. And so I hate it when apps slide a menu over top of the, the app view that I was looking at. Like they just bring it over and shove everything out of the way. I'm like, hey, man, I was looking at that. <laughs> um, and so like that's that's a really sort of picky thing. Like what slides? Is it the view that slides or is it the menu that slides? And, you know, what goes over and what goes under? But as designers and for the UX, we really have to think about that stuff. Um, that's the the invisible work that that makes an app either feel good or feel crappy. That's such a good point. I think of that's a like those two, you know, everybody's seen the kind of like the the off canvas menu kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that can come there's like I, I remember working on I even worked on this little what was that little UI framework thing called where where our our idea was to like bring all these types of like really performant nice effects and put them all together. Gosh, I, I only worked on it for a short time, so I can't remember. But it had like a bunch of different sidebar options, right? Like think of a code drops article; they have all these like awesome th- oh, things yeah. they're always doing, and they ha- they'll have like fifty examples, which makes them so good. But now you're a designer, and you're thinking, okay, do I want the sidebar where it, co- it it slides on top of the content, or do I want the one where it pushes everything away, or do I want the one where the the content like falls back visually and make it smaller? Right. Like you have like ten things you can. You can pick, and they all are kind of awesome looking. But then it yeah. goes beyond that, like, but what you know, like you were saying, hey, I was looking at that. That kind of thing comes into play even more. So it's not just which one looks cooler; it's which one like literally works better for what the app is for. I, yeah, 
I was doing uh, yesterday, I was doing a little box shadow on hover kind of thing, you know, classic web 2.0 here. I'm, <laughs> I'm breaking, all, breaking away from flat design. Retro. Uh, yeah. Retro, super retro here, but um, just to give it, you know, like some standoutness and that seemed like a good thing. And uh, there's also like, I, what I noticed was like, if I had a 15 pixel spread on the box shadow, but with a a point one second animation or whatever, mm-hmm. it, like that makes a difference too. Like how much it pops at you, like the the amount of Z that mm-hmm. kind of happens. Because um, when it was fifteen pixel spread, it was it was like it shot at your face, like you tried to dodge it, you know. But at ten pixels, it like felt really good. So there's all this like subtlety to the yeah. Z axis that I don't, you know that. It's a lot to talk about. It is. And, and those little transitions, that little, that little fade in, that little ease in or pop in and timing that correctly so that it feels fast and performant. But so it also sort of describes the transition between states is super important. Yeah. It's a cool area to just, and it's cool when you get there in a project, like you did all the boring stuff and now you're like, Hey, okay. <laughs> Now I can do hovered things. This mm-hmm. is fun. So cool. Well, thank you for the the crash course. That was <laughs> that was great. Do you watch the? Do you kind of have any opinions about material design and how they? Because I mean, they have some. They definitely they use the Z a bit. Do they not? <laughs> they they do. Um, you know, I think I think in general the way they describe transitions and the Z axis is really good. And they describe the importance of using animation as a way to describe the relationship between information. Um, so it, it shouldn't be eye candy. Stuff shouldn't just bounce and pop or whatever just because you want whiz bang flash. Um, it should it should bounce as some sort of like an indicator, you know, to sort of say, oh, you have a new notification or whatever. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think their rules for that stuff in material design are really good. It, there are aspects of material design. I, I mean, I think the the end products that are created look great. At the same time, I don't want every single app in the world to to adopt all of their visual design cues because then I think we'd have this really homogenous looking landscape of app design. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I think it's as far as design systems go. I think it's I think it's pretty brilliant. Yeah, that's I that's I've never heard it said more level-headedly. I, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it seems like a they've done a good job with it, but yeah, too much would be too much, you know. Think of the the, the backlash against Bootstrap, you know, if they make this this stuff too easy to use, people will be yeah, like, "Ugh, yeah. that." Yeah. <laughs> and I, I see designers go and, and they do these portfolio pieces. And I, I think I saw one that was like Instagram redesigned with the principles of material design. And it's like, yeah, but Instagram's okay the way it is. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, not everything has to look like paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw that too, the, the like the reimagining of it with, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, there, sometimes there's a little bit too much on the like, everything I click has to make a concentric growing circle out of it to indicate right. that I have pressed there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, it, it, you know, it reminds me of, it, you know, it's not just interaction design or, or any type of design. It's just design, too, that ev- like everything is a thing, right? If there's a line on a page, that line should need to be there because it really helps separate the thing on either side of that line from each other. And if the, if it's right. not really helping doing that because there's some kind of other change in, conf- in, in contrast anyway, like a color changes or it's clear that this text is a lot smaller than this text. So there's already kind of a natural separation between those two things i don't really need the line so it's like that same kind of concept can grow up into interaction design and be like does this thing need to slide in as i scroll down well maybe just to bring your eye to it because otherwise your people's eyes weren't going there fine but if it's just like everything slides everywhere it's the same (laughs) thing as an unnecessary line it just doesn't do it doesn't do anything it is oh i love it good talk (laughs) good talk team Good job. Good yeah. job. Great job. Big <laughs> So do you want to tell us about our the did you want to mention anything about the new website? Me, me and Dave kind of tag team it. Dave did a 
uh, more stuff. I made sure that there was some text overlapping other text so that people think it's a mistake. That's kind of what I do <laughs> when I design. It's good. Uh, no, we so we have a brand new shoptalkshow.com. And uh, yeah, this is it's fun. It, it was fun to redesign and do it. Uh, worth noting for maximum product synergy, we started the redesign inside a couple of code pens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then uh, started to go down the Jekyll route. And then uh, I think I just was like, I'm going to have to go through and edit all this metadata by hand. So I just wussed out. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to have to like change MP3 URLs. I'm going to have to like add, uh, get like get everyone's like Someday. bio. We were trying to whatever. solve too many problems at once. So we decided to solve oh. problems one at a time. We may Good. end up today going going the Jekyll route or whatever. But one thing we had to do is change um, podcast hosts, which we got with Sim- Simplecast. Now they're a very nice uh, service, so they're you know bandwidth by Simplecast. Essentially, we mm-hmm. we use them for almost nothing at the moment, other than hosting the MP3. So we want to I don't know shout out to them a they're, whole bunch. They they do more really than cool that. Though. They really are a really cool service. So maybe we'll use more of their features as we yeah. go on. But they have really good reporting, which that's going to be useful yeah. for us too, which is cool. You can go to two minute paul simplecast.fm my my other podcast with paul russo uh it's on simplecast it's they give you a free website and stuff like yeah. that like in yeah. like rss feed and i and you just plug it into itunes it was like what's the laziest way to put up a podcast and like <laughs> lazy in the like best possible way like how can i just get this up there and out and and be producing content and this is great so i recommend it yeah. Well, you know, I think that you, you just kind of pointed at at one of the things that I've been hearing a lot about this year and and it's it's the general the general sense and feeling of, you know, software is eating the world and uh <laughs> software in software in particular is is eating a lot of the, the web design industry. Um mm-hmm. and you know that it's so easy now. Uh, you know, I, I have friends with podcasts. They use Squarespace to put up a site for their podcast. Um, small businesses, it's it's just so easy for them to to use a service like that rather than hire a freelancer or a small agency. And so, so much of that work that that five years ago for web designers was the bread and butter has just kind of disappeared. And so, the work folks are doing these days has changed a lot. And I mean, obviously, a lot of agencies have been struggling. A lot of, you know, design agencies are going in-house. Uh, you know, the, the big companies are acquiring design and development teams. So, so yeah, even, even something little like that, it's just, it's sort of this, this picture of the larger, the larger trend in our industry. And I think, I think a lot of us are still waiting to see where the chips are going to land. This has been a, a hot topic on Chop Talk a number of times. People yeah. write in that says, I, you know, why why am I valuable when someone can go to Verb and make a website? Mm-hmm. And we've traditionally said, you know, like if you if you bring if you can't bring anything to the table that Verb can't, eh, you know, I don't know. There's still so much <laughs> that you can do. But but you bring a good point. I mean, there's only. I mean, we're we're doing a little back padding there essentially like like if there really is a lot of work disappearing in droves i guess that is kind of a problem you know i just, i think if you're like if you know the web inside and out and you're a good people person and you can guide people through the problems that they're having and solve solutions for them some of these tools can become your tools too you know absolutely right yeah that's what i think is it's worth experimenting and just cracking these these things open that you hear about and just be like does this make my life easier? Could I build a website <laughs> like 8,000% faster if I just use this thing? Like that's something to consider, you know, or, and you know, you may be too late before you learn, learn the limitations, but you know, I don't know. It's, I guess it's like, what is it? Economist, ec- economists, <laughs> economists, the sunk cost theory, blah, 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 free economics, blah, blah, blah. Next. <laughs> Surely there's some somebody at the at the bar right now being like, you know, oh, the world doesn't need web designers anymore. <laughs> you know, I oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I certainly wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't say that far. Go that far, but you know, I, I do think it's interesting how we as an as an industry are um, 
we're, we love, we love the new, we love the hot, we love disruption. <laughs> you know, some, some company like Yahoo begins to sort of fall by the wayside and we're like, yeah, but they haven't been innovating man or whatever. <laughs> and then when disruption comes for us, and comes for our jobs and comes for our paychecks, uh, we sing a different song. Good point. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's easy to be a fan of disruption when it's, you know, whatever, people who work for newspapers. It's yeah. like, come on, guys, ca- yeah. you know, catch up. Welcome to the 21st century. Get an Apple TV, but, Dad. Yeah, yeah, but when it's... But when <laughs> That's it's, the sound bite. I mean, I, I, late last year, I met my first web design freelancer who told me, you know, Squarespace destroyed my business. And, and this, was, this was the best part. He said, I had to work at Barnes & Noble so I could make rent. I thought, well, that's ironic. Um, you know, and so he's, he's got an, an in-house job now. But I, I do think for a lot of folks, it's, it's having an effect and... Um, I am empathetic towards that, and I think all of us kind of have to to look over our shoulder at at what tool we're developing today that might replace us tomorrow. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I, I always was... think about it in the sense of like, there's it, let's say all the websites, n- there's no more websites. Everything's a Squarespace website, right, or whatever. Verb. The simple. I'm trying to pick ones that are most likely to sponsor the show. Let's see. Yeah, <laughs> the one, let's let's choose the ones that give us money. Yeah. Just out of, yeah. out of the, the kindness of art. Okay, so let's say there's no more websites. Like you, you have to then think like, well, I like making websites. Where can I do that? Um, you know, and and it's things like these products, like you know, mm-hmm. big products, and so and that probably means you're going to have to. Uh, put on pants and go to an office building or something, but um, you know that's something to just consider. I mean, that might be the the future for a while until everyone's like, "Oh, all the you know WordPress sites look the same." So <laughs> it 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 certainly feels as a UX designer, it it feels like a trend that is is happening, and that you know we who who sort of describe ourselves as product designers or UX designers. Um, I've done, I've done a lot of consulting projects for small businesses, folks who wanted to develop an app, who'd worked with a design agency and, and essentially you, folks who are really good at designing those sort of brochure type websites suddenly move into this app design, product design space. And it, it's a different space. It's a different set of skills and it's always kind of immediately obvious to me when what is essentially a sort of marketing design agency has designed an app because it looks really beautiful and it's really hard to use. Um, but but we Ooh, but I but but with these changes in the industry and with with these changes in the kinds of work that agencies are able to get i feel like there are all of these you know web designers who are almost like like immigrants to our product design shores and i want to welcome them and i want to help them develop the skills to design better apps um so that all of us can have better user experiences um because i do think UX as a discipline is becoming, it, it's broadening out, it's getting absorbed into all pieces of the organization that marketing is responsible for UX, you know, and product management is responsible for UX. And it's it's not just the hero UX designer. Um, so wanting, you know, thinking of myself and all of us thinking of, as people to spread the gospel of UX in a good way, because you know, I have to deal with the Time Warners and the Verizons of the world too, and I want those experiences to be better. <laughs> yeah, uh, we act, we'll have some actually interesting uh, questions that that touch on that, on on how we can do that potentially, uh, mm-hmm. like uh, um, related to you know hiring junior people and training them and that type of thing. So yeah. let's let's see if we can get to that. Let's do some um, other questions first, though. Actually. Did you, do you have anything else, Dave, to wrap up? We can talk more about this. There's not much to oh, talk about anyway. Not much. Just have a click through. Uh, if you see bugs, let us know. But uh, no, we're, we're kind of into the 
hey, this is not our actual day job, but we will uh, work on it iteratively <laughs> yeah. in front of your eyeballs. So, yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah, IOJS uh, reached 1.0. That was kind of a, a thing that I just saw only people celebrating about. People are apparently very excited about this kind of a replacement for Node.js that, I don't know, supports ES6 a little better and, I don't know, is separate for some reason. So people are excited about that. I thought we'd drop it in the news All, section. Yeah, it's a little bit of hot. Uh, the, like, basically the, not... There, there's like a core, like a node core, right? But then, but then there's like the community, the most active community, or something like that. You know, like contributors and stuff like that. Um, apparently, there's a bit of a, a faction there, and so this is based. I've heard it said like IOJS is kind of just a big pull request for Node.js because they just want it to be better, and there it was Node was getting kind of stalled out in, um, so. Should be cool. I don't know anyone who's switched over to it yet. I guess you can just switch, huh? I mean, if it's, I I like the, if it's the same, you know, whatever APIs or whatever, I guess why not, right? Uh, It's the same kind of situation happening with LibSass or whatever. I think I saw Compass is trying to get working on LibSass and stuff. The the idea is that it will kind of be the the replacement for SAS, or at least that's the way the wind's blowing. If nobody's actually saying it yet, that's probably what's going to happen. Same kind of deal. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into some questions. We have one here from Nick Spiel who writes in, I have noticed that the visited selector seems to have fallen in usage over the last few years. I did some research into what may have caused this. Uh, and one thing that comes up is that there's kind of like a browser vulnerability on it. And essentially how that works is I, I'm just adding this in here is that like, you know, like you, have you ever seen a visited link? Like if you go to Google.com search results, it's like a darker blue if you've already been to that one or lighter or something. It's just different in some way. Like through JavaScript, you can be like, hey, JavaScript, is this link dark blue or light blue? And then be like, oh, interesting. It's light blue. That means you've been to that website. Let me report that back with Ajax to a third-party server kind of thing. So be like, you've been to jerks.com? That must mean you're a jerk, you know? So mm-hmm. that that was the exploit. So, not, you know, there had to be some browser stuff fixed to make sure that that, that that type of type of stuff couldn't happen. I think it largely has been. There's a limited amount of things you can do with the visited selector. And I think you just can't ask for the styles of it somehow. I'm not sure exactly how it works. But maybe that was contributed to the, to the, to the decline of using it. But I just don't see a lot of people using it anymore do you see you know you know what i'm talking about ren the like style your links oh, yeah. all differently when they're visited do you do you ever think about it or do it anymore you know i i do think about it uh i don't do it very often i think there are probably a couple of different things in play which is from a, a kind of design aesthetic sensibility you know, designers and and our stakeholders, our clients want to feel like, oh, this is what color the link is going to be. Period. Yeah. You know, it's either going to be it's either going to be this pretty shade of blue that matches your branding, or you know, what whatever. Um, I, I think also if you think about some of the big content sites, there's not there's not a good business case (laughs) like they want as many page views and as many clicks as possible yeah and what the uh, visited link is saying don't go here you've already seen it right you've already been there so you know if you're making your money off of ad impressions if somebody goes around in a couple of loops on your site clicking those links well i mean that's traffic i guess there is a google (laughs) there is a case for google doing it being like oh you already went there didn't find it in our back huh you better keep looking around here right yeah yeah, so it's it's fewer. I think fewer and fewer, uh, fewer and fewer sites and organizations can are making the business case for for uh, why that's why that's good for their bottom line to provide that indicator. And visit visited doesn't say any. It just says you've been there once in your lifetime. It doesn't say anything about like or has since that you've cleaned the cookies or whatever. Like yeah. Right. It isn't. It isn't like, all that that useful, really. I, I'm not surprised. And the less websites that do it, the less it encourages other websites to do it because it's kind of weird, you know. It's kind of like you, sometimes it's kind of confusing when you look at it. Like, 
why is this a different color again? Oh, yeah, that weird CSS selector. Or if sites way overdo it and have, like, a big pillbox around the entire link with an SVG icon of a check mark, you know, next to it, like, mm-hmm. you visited this, sir. Like, oh, God, right. thanks for the help. That's that's great. <laughs> yeah. there's. I, I also feel like there's less and less um, – what's, what's the best way to, to call this? Inline linking that you just have a big paragraph of text and there are links inside of it that they're just, you know, there are fewer and fewer big paragraphs of text Mm. on the web these days anyway, Uh, but fewer people blogging. It's, it's, again, this is just really happening on those media sites. And if you've landed there via Google and you've never visited the site before, how are you to know the difference between this one shade of blue and this other shade of blue? Yeah, blue right. You have to learn which, it which, every time for every. Right. You just have to learn it every every time. And so I think that's part of it, too, is that fewer and fewer of us are visiting the same site every day, whether some folks are using RSS readers or some of us are just using Twitter or something to curate what we read. We don't have that site site level loyalty we used to have. Very good point. Another point being it would be weird to use it on something like main navigation or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's like you were saying it's blocks of text or some kind of like list of links or something like that that like contenty still though. Uh, like, you know, I wouldn't mind if it was like, check out these 10 recipes and I could tell which ones I've seen. That, that, that wouldn't bother me so much if it had visited styles, but it's certainly not like a glo- something that would belong on the global scope, you know, star, right. star colon visited opacity 0.5 or something. That's, <laughs> that would be weird. So who knows? Maybe that will just die off. Kind of a trend of the past. Out of mm. fashion. I, we mm-hmm. were using it on the Shop Talk show notes, for, but it was weird. You'd see a list of like 15 links and some would be like dark orange and some would be orange. And it just, it added, it was weird. It just, it was helpful, but it was weird. That that was it. So I, uh, I, I like the, you know, <laughs> display none. There's some funny <laughs> ones in the chat room. The line through is kind of interesting. That's like a little more obvious because like, oh, it's crossed mm-hmm. out. I get it. But at the same time, crossed out a lot of times means like Dell and ints, you know, those HTML5 tags for old and new content. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the really subtle idea f- um, from Joel about about just like if there's a re- normally an underline, just remove the underline, do something subtle that mm-hmm. isn't color related. So there's, you know, there's mm-hmm. design considerations that can get it done. Let's move on though so we can get to as many questions as we can. Um, this one's a little bit about responsive design. Shane Patrick writes in, I'm in the process of building a mobile-first e-commerce website. At the moment, my layout covers screens up to 1,600 pixels wide. That's actually pretty darn wide for the web, really. Not, And it's about, a th- what is it, a third of the size of your new monitor, Dave? Yeah, this is relevant <laughs> to my... Uh, new 3,440-pixel-wide monitor. This is great. But for instance, when I display the catalog of products on this website, I display a grid three products wide, which covers most of the screen of the 1,600 pixels. And Shane wants to know, is that too wide? How wide is too wide? Uh, and what are your thoughts on responsive design for larger screens? Which is a good point. We often think of responsive design as how is this design that I've designed to be big going to work when it's small? How often mm-hmm. do we think about the the big sites, or we like screw them? They have too much resources. They'll get what I give them. You ever work on? Yeah, it's a, does, thinking about the ten foot screen. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And then, what does a ten foot screen mean? Does it mean that it's like on a billboard and people are far away from it, or does it mean that you're Dave and have this enormous monitor in front of you? And doesn't that matter? Because like of control and stuff. How, how, I don't know. To what extent have you thought about this on on any site or high rise or something, Ren? The, the giant screen problem. Yeah, that you know the giant screen problem isn't one that I've thought about a lot. But I mean, I my inclination in that sense might be to give them a couple more columns for screens, mm-hmm. maybe larger than sixteen hundred pixels. Maybe they get four columns or five columns so they can fit, you know, at what point does, is the product image getting too large and you could just be showing them more products. Um, Uh, If you're, if you're doing the kind of site where people are sort of scrolling through, 
And like, nope, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. Um, but that would be fun to use ability test too, because at what point are there just too many dang thumbnails on the screen? <laughs> well, I can't look at all these at once. Good point. And and it's and it's too easy to overlook. So I think I think you've got different possibilities there, and and it probably depends on what what your your typical user's behavior is like. Is this a site? where people want to see all the products and just say, oh, what are the new arrivals and they're, they're, the browsing behavior? Or are they coming there with something specific, like I need a new pair of shoes and I need them to be black and I need them to be this particular size? Um, and is that an opportunity to give them more filtering and sorting uh, sort of interface elements to, to narrow things down to what they want? Yeah, I'm thinking of someone... You know, like this, like they're like, I'm going to dream big here. I'm going to put our entire website <laughs> on this on this enormous screen. And then like the user searches for like neon slippers with, with leather edging. Yeah. And there's one one result <laughs> in the corner. Right. Right. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, it, it's it's very different depending, you know, depending on what type of product you're selling and who your audience is. That there are lots of different possibilities. Get in there and and start start doing some lean testing. Start prototyping and start putting prototypes in front of people on those big screens and see what they think. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if we'll run into a, a this. The, there's been a little bit of a rise of these like VW and VH units in CSS. So you can set mm-hmm. text that's like it's going to scale perfectly. Even if I you know drag my browser window bigger or smaller or whatever, we can relatively size them to the viewport mm-hmm. and it's kind of nice but there is no min font size and max font size so it's kind of funny if like <laughs> if you if you went all in here and just use all those for text and then dragged your window 3,000 pixels wide you might be looking at uh, some issues we'll see how that pans out all right Shane Ren said it best test yeah. Uh, let's do a sponsor here. We have the the Responsive Web Design Summit coming up. That's rwdsummit.com. Attend it from anywhere in the world. rwdsummit.com. That's our new theme song for literally every sponsor. Every sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's it's online. It's three days coming up March 10th through 12th. Lots of, of people uh, that you'll recognize from the show. Uh, me and Dave will be there. Katie Kavalsons will be there. Rachel Andrew, Ben Frain, Zoe Gillenwater, all people that have been on the show before talking about responsive web design. Just the thing that we are just talking about there, only we're going to do it all day for three days. Hang out in the chat room together. See each what each other's living rooms look like. <laughs> Uh, it should be it should be darn fine, and with it, you know, like these conferences are just a little less expensive than uh, in person ones. Just straight up, the ticket price is generally less, but also uh, you don't have to fly, you don't have to eat out, you don't have to book a hotel room, all that kind of stuff, and you can save twenty percent with coupon code Shop Talk Show or just Shop Talk. It's just Shop Talk. Shop Talk. All right, what do you got? It's gonna Dave? be fun. Yep. All right, next question comes from Andrew Litchford. Hey, love the show. Hey, Andrew, we love you. So my question is about uh, billing. I do freelance web development. I'm starting to gain quite a few clients and recurring billing is becoming more important. In the past, I've used a Google Doc template but feel it looks unprofessional and I'd like to use software that stores my clients' information. What are your suggestions? This might be some product synergy, Ren. Uh, (laughs) do (laughs) Do you have a recommendation? Um. I have a few. I've spent I've spent a good bit of time freelancing, so this is this is a problem that I have had to solve for myself in the past. Personally, I use zero x e r o dot com both for my invoicing and as my small business accounting uh, because I have an accountant, and that's the number one rule of being a freelancer: is day one get an accountant. And he was basically like, use Zero or use QuickBooks. Um, so I chose Zero. There's also, I have in the past occasionally used a service called the Invoice Machine. It's like the InvoiceMachine.com. So that's, that's not so much an accounting tool, but it's an invoicing tool. 
and you can sort sort of send a couple a month for free, and then I guess they have paid levels going up from there. But if you're just looking for something that will remember the names and email addresses of your contacts mm. and send professional-looking invoices for a relatively small amount, small cost, uh, the invoice machine does a pretty good job of that. Very nice. Um I've, I use, like, for example, I might need to send an invoice for this show for a sponsor or something. I've been using FreshBooks for a long time. None of these people are sponsoring yeah. the show, by the way. Um, nope. I have used FreshBooks because it, like, there, it has an online payment thing built into it. So I can kind of be mm-hmm. like, this is my bank account information or P- PayPal, and the money will go to the right place. And it integrates with, um, uh, I use you know some online accounting thing and it's all synced up together, which is nice. I kind of I also like you, Andrew. Had at one point I put an HTML invoice and it's still up there on CSS Tricks. I made it into a blog post where it's just a bunch of content editable elements all over the place, and you could just go in there and change a few things and send an invoice. That's what we used to do for Shop Talk Show too. It works great. It's just it's not integrated with anything else. Then it just is like it, it, you can look a little bit professional, but like to be professional on your side, it's kind of nice when these things kind of end up having a history to them and integrate with the rest of your financial life. So it's Definitely. nice to pick things that do that. We've had Harvest as a sponsor on before. Harvest is a wonderful use Dave uses Harvest. Really nice way to yep. do this type of this type of thing. So but High Rise doesn't do that. It it keeps track of your customers, no. but it doesn't do like invoicing. No, we're we're not an invoicing or an accounting tool. It is a CRM, CRM, right? Or, or would you not even? It doesn't even say the word CRM on on high rise. Yeah, yeah, it's that. That's interesting. I, I think it's generally been just defined as a contact manager. Mm. Um, I and I guess CRM implies a deeper level of new business tracking, mm-hmm. um, which is. Is something that High Rise does a little bit, mm-hmm. but not something that has that has a lot of features built out to support. But mm-hmm. I'm sort of making the shrug motion here. I don't know what is a CRM really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. a, a CRM is a a web app where guys <laughs> with suits uh, try to squeeze money out of people they just met. <laughs> Right. Is that right, and that's yeah, and that's not us. That's not us. So yeah. it's kind of nice uh, to to avoid it a little bit because then you're not your you know meetings aren't 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 derailed with you know how do we get to the top of Google search results for CRM? <laughs> yeah. It's just like we're not even going to go there. We're this company that Mm-mm. builds things. Okay, let's see. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do another question. I have one about uh, let's see, uh, Chris. Why do I get the hard ones, Dave? Gelzini's. Oh, that's awesome. Chris, you have an awesome... (laughs) I love your podcast. Thanks. We love you back, Chris. Perfect for trips to the shop because I spend hours deciding what to buy. Must be wearing headphones while doing it. We appreciate that. (laughs) I wanted to ask how you guys started in the trade, and is there any significant steps, tutorials, languages, workflows, improvements that you would recommend I'm in the second year of an interactive media course in college and joined a small media studio that used to do videos and photo shoots, sh- shoots and now we've kind of converted into web and graphic design stuff. But I want to improve. So Chris is, um, has some experience, is trying to learn some things, uh, level up in this world, and sounds like a kind of perhaps junior level-ish. Do we have any advice for Chris? You know, the thing I the thing I tell folks early in their careers, and especially if he is actually in a legit program, is that in a in addition to whatever he is doing at school, to hit the self teaching hard, like find something, and and it can be whatever, whether it's. SAS or mm-hmm. something related to JavaScript or whether it's it's Ruby or um, you know a particular JavaScript platform find something and and learn it for yourself using videos or books or tutorials or code pins or CSS tricks or whatever because I think self-teaching is the backbone of our industry and you know once you graduate and you get a job 
Um, not every employer is just going to, you know, oh, here's this new technology. Let's pay thousands of dollars for you to learn it. No, you just kind of have to go home and learn it. And, and you have to constantly be learning because things change every day. So be, become someone who can teach yourself new things my advice that's a that's a lovely sentiment because the industry does move so quickly and it's it's hard to to trust you know whatever you need to have an internal fire to get this thing going uh speaking of which it doesn't hurt to to um i don't know to use your internal fire to be doing things on your own but be be learning as well and you chris mentioned that um uh, to take some courses and learn some stuff already. Here's a course that you might be interested in. Now, this is a sponsor, um, um, but it's a tremendously good one. People have so much luck with them. It's awesome. It's a company. Uh, they're, they're like, their overwrapping thing is called One Month. So it's onemonth.com, and they have all these courses that are designed to be taken in it, uh, in one month. One of their, like, top ones is their one for iOS. So the, the URL for this, where you can enroll at, is onemonth.com slash shoptalkios. So this is a, a, a it's it's typically four ninety nine, which is you know for a month class is like an incredibly good price. You get twenty five percent off if you use that URL anyway, which is really cool. And that's the price for if you have a tutor, you are like you have somebody who can literally help you with this, a live one on one mentor for the course, which is just amazing. It's a that's a good price for having that, I think. Um, so it's for, you know, it, it can be for complete beginners. It can be people like for like me who I'm just a designer and I want to get into the iPhone game. It can be into that kind of thing. It can be, you know, people that are looking for a promotion, that kind of thing. So there's 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 six plus hours of videos, uh, which is a lot to watch and digest and rewatch and all that type of thing. And then you end up pairing with people to, to, to work on the thing. And then you, you actually build an app. I think uh, the last I looked at, you end up building kind of an Instagram like app uh, using all the stuff you know swift and xcode 6 and interface builder and the simulator and the parser and all that kind of stuff so pretty pretty cool the url again there is one month.com slash shop talk ios sign up through that to level up you aren't going to regret that chris if you give it a shot uh let's see what else do we got dave you want to do another one yeah let's um mariella smith writes in when I specify text size in CSS, it appears in different sizes on iOS devices. It even appears in different sizes on the same device, depending on whether it's rotated, portrait, or landscape. Please explain the rules <laughs> used by iOS devices to shrink and enlarge text. Does retina resolution play into this? Uh, where can I find these sorts of rules for all devices? Uh, what's the simplest way to tweak defaults just a bit? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Can you offer tips? That's a- Have you run into this? Oh, are you asking me? <laughs> yeah, Ren, any experience? I, you know, it's no. I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going to hand this one over to Chris. For the I moment. wish I don't. I don't know anything. I I know that like there's that classic thing where like you load something in portrait and it like seems to zoom in a little bit when you go mm-hmm. to to landscape. And it's because, like, I don't know, the the width tries to stay the same, essentially, right? There's something kind of going on. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm so ignorant about this. But but usually it's like, oh, not a big deal. It's just a little bigger now. I'll just look at it bigger. But but you're saying, I don't like that? Or there's some ways to fix that? Well, so, yeah. So the iOS, in its infinite wisdom, (laughs) decided if it didn't like your font size, it would just make a bigger one or whatever. Or, or shrink it or something like it, it has ideal font sizes that it can override. So there's a property uh, webkit dash text or dash webkit dash text size adjust or like it's all hyphenated or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then you set it to none or something or 100%. Oh. So if you set it to none, that disables uh, like command plus zooming and so don't do that uh so you have to do 100 percent. and i think there's oh i'm gonna i think there's also an ms text size adjust i think uh like uh but does it so that changes the font size from changing but it still kind of like zooms in on your website yeah the rotational zoom we are actually dealing with it on shop talk um, and that is, uh, I believe, and somebody may correct me in the comments, that's totally fine, um, comes from 
your viewport meta tag, um, usually it's just width equals device width, but you set initial scale equals one as well, and that will help it on rotation. And there used to be a bug. Is that like, right? I always wondered what the difference between those is. Yeah, so that's usually kind of how you work around it, but it only kind of works sometimes, you know? <sighs> uh, like, it's so weird. And then that's why you used to have to use this um, uh, little hack from filament group that, or, and also, uh, Jeremy Keith had one, the iOS orientation fixed thing. Um, but that's also kind of heinous cause it's just sets an event listener for watching for orientation change. And then it like pops things in and out. And, um, but, uh, they fixed that in iOS six, I think. So it, it shouldn't be a problem, but as <laughs> your mileage may vary. So, uh, but yeah, I, usually the initial scale equals one helps shore that up, tighten up. Very good. Hopefully that helps you, Mariella. So I'd like to end this with um, talking about that thing that we talked about a little earlier about kind of like, can we, what's the deal with with junior stuff a little bit? I'll read the question first and then we'll just take it wherever we need to take it. This is Robert Kyatt writes in, I'm a front-end developer. I've been doing contract work for two years now, and I believe I am ready for a full-time in-house dev job. I updated my resume and started to look at job listings. You should probably look at codepen.io slash jobs, am I right? Or shoptalkshow.com slash jobs, I mean. (laughs) Nope, not that one. This one. There we go. Perfect. I have noticed listings for... UI slash UX developers, UI slash UX designers, and junior front-end developers. And Robert's asking, what are these type of jobs like? What kind of tools do I need to know? Like, what is the salary level when it says junior in front of a job position like that? So uh, do we have any (laughs) insight into, like, what's the deal with these type of jobs? Well, I mean, my, my insight is I think a lot of companies are using different labels and to just not pay too much attention to the labels and pay more attention to the description and what they're asking for in terms of languages and experience and so forth. Uh, it's That's a good point. Labels are hard. So let's just explain <laughs> what we mean. Yeah, la- la- exactly. La- labels are hard. And I have, I have clicked on on job listings for UX designer. And then it was basically describing a front-end developer. And I was thinking to myself, wow, no front-end developers are going to click on this when this is actually a job for them. (laughs) Uh, I I also think that being a front-end developer is one of the most important and most unsung positions in our industry right now. I think I get an email or a tweet literally every month asking me, do I know any front-end developers who are looking for work because some agency or company needs to hire one? So there should be lots of work out there for you. And if you're not finding, if, if these jobs you're applying to aren't, if you're not hearing back from them, if you're not getting interviews, maybe find another developer to look over your resume or look over your GitHub. You should have a GitHub, right? And have some some projects that you've been working on to give you advice on what might not be appealing to these, uh, you know, potential employers. But yeah, don't, don't worry about the labels because it, it means something different to every company. And, you know, let's, let's not argue about what they should or shouldn't actually mean. Um, so it might be UI developer. It might be UI engineer, might be UX developer, UX engineer or front end or whatever. Mm-hmm. Very fair. Uh, so, one thing that isn't generally isn't too debated is the kind of junior, regular, senior type of thing. People are usually pretty okay with that distinction. Mm-hmm. Do you find that to be the case? Yeah, I, yeah, it's and and a lot a lot of folks. If I don't know, most companies just want somebody who can do good work, and 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 they they need somebody that they can just hand hand some specs to hands you know work with a designer and just just build the thing and if you are capable of of building the thing and working with a designer to build a thing i don't know that that a lot of places are going to care so much if you're 6 months experience or 2 i mean 2 years experience is great you've shipped some stuff 
Let's go. I'm sure that the, <laughs> as soon as you're that that's if that's the case, then you're not junior anymore. Like it, yeah, I, right. So that's cool. But maybe like if you don't, if you know, if you're kind of like, uh, I'm really interested in this stuff and went to school for it and have a few things, but like I don't have any proven ability to ship. Then maybe you're yeah. still hireable, but you're just junior. Right. And so I would right. expect to be paid less and have less responsibility and stuff. And that's fine. I, you know, I can't tell you, Robert, what the, what the price difference is. I mean, it's just, it depends on a billion things. It depends on the company and the, uh, uh, uh and, and geographics is, is, is a huge thing, but you know, we're not underpaid as an industry, so you'll probably do okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, every time I was wondering about, uh, salaries, cause everything, it's all about, yeah, like location and what value that is, you know, like San Francisco is going to be mm-hmm. like 1.8 X multiplier. So there's like <laughs> kids fresh out of college making like, like mid six figures <laughs> and stuff like that. And you're just like, how do they do that? You know, but they also pay like $70,000 in rent a year or whatever, but like you have to, I, I would use, I, I like indeed.com slash salary. I know that's sort of weird, but um, I don't know. You just type in random words and then a city or state. So like a, let's, let's try you, UI developer in Austin says like makes 97 K or, but a junior makes 77. That's just Austin. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you went to like Michigan, it's probably way less or something. So it's it's a very interesting. I I like that tool just to kind of like ballpark. I mean, nothing's absolute too. It's like you can also like like what if you're a senior developer, but you're also a super jerk, <laughs> like, <laughs> or and, you demand eight months of vacation a year. You know, like I mean, and like, sal- salaries tend to be salaries tend to be lower if you're working for an agency that's, you know, billing clients at an hourly rate, um, you know, and, and there are usually a lot of advantages to agency life. You know, it's just you and a bunch of other, other tech people and there's foosball and Red Bull and, you know, lots of Mac computers. And it's, you know, a lot of those companies offer flexible hours and, and, and it's, it's usually pretty awesome, but the pay is usually somewhat lower. Whereas if you're willing to put on a pair of khakis and drive out to an office park to work for a big corporation, um, then you can probably make more. And so depending on your lifestyle and what's important to you, you know, do you want stability and a really good benefits package or do you want the ability to roll into work at 10 30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Um, you the, know, like, it, hidden <laughs> benefits like, right. the, yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. yeah. Are you do you, do you make less money, but like you get to see your kids more? You know, that's a big thing if you're older or whatever. Like, you know, right. it's, it's you have to. There's pros and cons. So salary is kind yeah. of a big misnomer, kind of. Exactly, and and so and all those those salary ranges, and you know, like I'll say, it, it's if you're applying with an agency, that number is probably going to be lower than what you see on a salary calculator. But there are other hidden benefits to it. Very true. And I think if you're starting to apply for a job, just get one and like, (laughs) like find one. If you super hate it, change it. Like, like work on changing it. That's an experience you need to know how to do too. So, I should say everybody in the world has an opinion about San Francisco in the world, but if you if you can move and you really really love the web and just want to get a job in tech somehow, you can totally be hired there and make good money. So like if that's your thing, do it. Speaking of which, uh, there is a show. Oh man, what's that? This just set it up, upset spike here. Pretty good, right? <laughs> I like where you're going with this. Well, it's just the truth, too. I mean, I used to live there, and there was there's people looking for jobs all over the place. Now, you don't – it's expensive, yada, yada. You've heard the whole spiel, right? But you can go there and work if you want to. Uh <clears throat> Uh, lending club. This is the, the Shop Talk Show has a job board now. It's the Code Pen job board. It's the CSS Tricks job board. They're all combined into a thing, um, and we're going to be mentioning awesome jobs that that come up on them at the end of the Shop Talk Show. So that's what we're doing now. Uh, I was talking with the guys from Lending Club, which speaking of disruption earlier in the show, it's kind of a disruptive thing for borrowing money. Essentially, it connects browsers and or uh, bar- borrowers and investors. 
They're looking for somebody in San Francisco. They're, they they have a number of jobs, but the one they really want to fill is they're like they're like lead, their principal engineer for JavaScript and UI. So it's the kind of thing going on in the show. Gulp, Backbone, Browserify, SaaS. You know, templating HTML—the stuff that we talk about in the show—they're trying to hire their principal engineer for for Lending Club in San Francisco. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that particular job uh, for it. But you know, they're serious. They they have a bunch of positions to fill, and and you can go get them if you're good. So go, go get them. Anyway, oh, that's awesome. I think that's the cool thing is if you're looking for employment, check out the job board. Good job. Like Ren says, so. that it is front front enders got it pretty good, and it, it, for the most part, people are always looking hot, for them. Hot yep. commodity, hot Very. commodity. Uh, well, we should probably wrap it up, Ren. Thank you so much for coming on the show. For those who aren't following you uh, and giving you money, how can they do that? And then, what's one big thing you'd like to plug before you leave today? Oh man, um, you can follow me on Twitter. Thing I would plug, you know, I'm speaking at some great UX conferences this year. I'll be at Tiny Giant in Charlotte in less than two weeks. Um, I'll be at Modev UX in Arlington in March. Modev. So, Modev. So, yeah, if if you haven't if you haven't found a way to to come out to a conference, and I think the the RWD Summit is amazing. I did that last year. Uh, you know, improve your skills, work on your, your self-teaching. But if you haven't come out to, to an in-person conference, uh, find a way to do that this year. Get involved with the community. It, it really helps you, feel, helps you feel good about your work. It, it's, a, it's a good chance to meet other people who sort of have the same problems you have, and it makes you feel less alone <laughs> um, to, to, to join the community. So, so yeah, whatever, whatever your jam is, uh, come out, join us. We're, we're good people. Um, there are good people at, at all these conferences and, and yeah, just, just don't, don't stay isolated, um, and meet, meet up with some folks in real life. Perfect. Lovely. All right. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks Ren for coming on. Thanks everyone for coming out and listening and live in the chat room. You guys are always the best. Uh, be sure to rate us up in iTunes. Uh, just click the five star button. It's that easy. And, uh, be, we have, we have the store still open. You can buy stuff at shoptalkshow.com slash store. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at shoptalkshow. And Chris, do you have anything else? <gasps> shoptalkshow.com.